Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Three, two, one. But I've worked it out. I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer Jim Calhoun. NASCAR icon Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreet is on Welcome the phone. Welcome in, everybody. Episode Here. 6. We. Sports Podcast presented by Betfred Sportsbook. It is Friday, January 13th. 2023 people apparently it's friday the 13th didn't realize it until the words came out of my mouth but i hope everybody's doing well i hope everybody is having a great i guess friday the 13th i I mean i got to acknowledge it now Uh, and i hope everybody's ready for an all of a sudden jam-packed friday episode of the aaron torres pod i did wonder doing the thursday episode would would there be enough to talk about on friday uh yeah we got a lot to discuss. We are going to open uh, big news in the college sports world in general. Kevin Warren, commissioner of the Big Ten. You could argue this guy on both the positive and negative has shaken up college sports as much as anybody over the last three years. He announces he is officially leaving to go back to the NFL where he originally came from. He was with the Minnesota Vikings. He is headed to the, the Chicago Bears. We will discuss that. One more college football note of very significant importance. Dabo Sweeney making a baller move, going to get Garrett Riley, the brother of Lincoln Riley, as his offensive coordinator. This may be the turning over of a new leaf for Dabo. We will continue a story I didn't think we were going to hit on. I thought we were done talking Kentucky hoops today. But my old buddy Kyle Tucker, like him, dislike him, he does great reporting on the ground. Very interesting piece on the relationship between John Calipari and his AD. It does not sound good. We'll discuss that and we'll wrap Aaron Wright, Aaron Wrong, the end of season college football edition of where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong. Lot to get into, lot to discuss. So let's not waste any more time and let's get to the topic of the day. And the topic of the day, I'll tell you, you know, one thing, we do talk some some professional sports on this show. We'll probably do a little bit of NFL as the playoffs get near. But really, this show is mostly the bread and butter is college sports. And one thing I try to do is take you behind the curtain of what is going on, what is happening, what is really happening, and the significance of it all. And so because of it, we do have to lead the show with a very significant development from the world of college football and college sports in general on Thursday, when Kevin Warren, the commissioner of the Big Ten, uh, it had been reported for a while 
that Kevin Warren was flirting with the NFL. As I just said, he started his career in the pro ranks, was with the Minnesota Vikings, came on as the Big Ten commissioner in 2020. Well, after months or weeks of speculation, he denied the reports. It is announced that Kevin Warren is going back to the NFL. And I'll tell you this. One, this guy leaves a very complicated legacy at the college level. And two, I don't know that this is the best thing for college sports at this particular moment in time. Not surprising. He had been flirting for a while, denied it. Okay, don't care about denials. But do think this is a very significant development. And let's get into it and let's discuss. And so what's wild about Kevin Warren, he's only been on the job for three years. If you remember, Jim Delaney had been the commissioner of the Big Ten forever. And he he I think he was there when they added Penn State in the early 90s. He was there when they added Nebraska. He was there when they added Maryland in Rutgers. He was around forever, like 25, 30 years. He announces his retirement, and they replace him with Kevin Warren in January of 2020. So the guy comes in, and of course, we all know what happens in February of 2020 and March of 2020, a worldwide pandemic. And so that is what I think makes Kevin Warren's time in the Big Ten offices so fascinating. One, it was a very short time. Usually you get one of these jobs, you hold on to them for life. Jim Delaney had been there 30 years. Greg Sankey, I suspect, is going to be the SEC commissioner another 15, 20 years, and then he'll retire or whenever he decides to retire. You get one of these jobs, you don't walk away. Um, But two, I would argue that Kevin Warren, as much as anybody in recent college sports history, you talk about just a unique, unique legacy. If you want legacy might not be the right word, but, but he'll be remembered for so many different things, some really negative, some really positive. And when you look at Kevin Warren's time in college sports, I think it's defined by three very obvious, very, very, very significant things. One. And this is the negative. He was the face of the Big Ten trying to cancel college football. And what I would say about Kevin Warren, listen, I I was very critical of the man at the time, okay? A lot of people found this show. Some of the most downloaded episodes that we've ever done came during COVID, during August and September of 2020, when the Big Ten canceled college football and the Big Ten brought back college football. I was very critical of him. I went after him. What I would ultimately say is, in hindsight, I regret nothing that I said. I also do think it is worth noting that while he was the face of the cancellation of the Big Ten season and then eventually the Big Ten season coming back, we have to remember that a commissioner is the representative of his constituents, right? Roger Goodell speaks for the 32 NFL owners, and Kevin Warren was speaking at that time on behalf of the then 14 school presidents in the Big Ten. And I know for a fact, I've talked to people who know Kevin Warren. I don't know that at any time he ever fully supported canceling the season. Remember, he's a former athlete himself. His son was actually playing football at Mississippi State at the time. So while his son was playing in the SEC, he was the face of the Big Ten's cancellation. And I don't know that he ever really believed that that was the right thing. But publicly, he did have to take a lot of arrows for it. Remember. He works for the 14, now 16 school presidents of the Big Ten. I think most of those presidents wanted the season canceled. If you remember, there was probably about two to three. Nebraska was very adamant they wanted to play. 
Iowa was very adamant they wanted to play. Ohio State, I think, probably publicly said the right things about being unified, but they secretly, I don't know if it was secret, but they wanted to play. But why I bring it up, I, you know, I, I think that is probably what most people will remember Kevin Warren for. And I don't really know how much he really was to blame for the Big Ten canceling its season. And frankly, I don't know how much he was to, to, to give credit to for it coming back. At some point, this, the league knew they were facing lawsuits. Everybody else was playing. It was safe. You had to play. And what I would also say about that is that I don't think Kevin Warren handled the PR elements of it well. From what I remember, didn't do a ton of interviews at the time. From what I remember, wasn't very vocal about explaining why these decisions were being made. But like I said, he was very much the face of college football's cancellation during COVID. And then, of course, it coming back when he was left no choice. So that was the negative of Kevin Warren's era. There was another element that happened this summer that has to be discussed. And I don't know if it's a positive or a negative. I think it depends on how you look at it. But he was, of course, the driving force of getting USC and UCLA from the Pac-12 to the Big Ten. It was a jarring move. It was a shocking move. We all know why it was done. It was to bring an L.A. market to the Big Ten. It was to make the Big Ten a coast-to-coast brand, if you will. Um, and if uh, if you look at it from the business perspective, it was to get the most possible money for the conference and the teams in the conference when they went into negotiations with their TV partners. And so obviously I didn't like it. I'm more of a traditionalist. I, I It's funny, I was arguing with a buddy of mine on Thursday when this Kevin Warren announcement happened. I still don't think it's probably what's best for USC and UCLA. They're going to make a lot more money, but there's a lot more travel. There's a lot more expenses. I think it's going to be really hard for them to go on the road, you know, in a basketball situation 10 times a year to have to fly across country and go play at Purdue, at Iowa, at Michigan, at Wisconsin, at Michigan State. But the bottom line was he did make a, you know, you know, he did put the league in position to have success when they went into their TV negotiations. And that I think really is ultimately the third element of his time. The COVID situation, the USC UCLA situation, which I didn't like. I don't think it's good for college sports, but I understand why he pushed for it. I understand why UCLA and USC wanted it. And I do think the third thing that we do have to acknowledge is that TV contract, which shocked the college football world. Seven years, over $1 billion, 90 plus million dollars a year for the now 16 schools in the Big Ten. And let me say this, for all of the criticism that I had of Kevin Warren during COVID, I also thought he showed incredible business savvy during that contract negotiation. And it's funny, right? A couple things. One, I obviously now own Aaron Torres Media. Yes, I'm still an employee of Fox Sports Radio, but I'm not an employee anywhere else. I am the business owner. And so because of it, I look at the business elements of it, and I look at what Kevin Warren did, and I'm blown away. I'm blown away by the fact that he got his product for years, college sports contracts. They were on one network, maybe two. He leveraged all three against each other where the Big Ten is going to be on. Remember, starting next year, the SEC is still on, on, on CBS for one more season. But starting next year and definitely in 2024, you're going to have a marquee Big Ten game on Fox at noon on CBS in that 330 window replacing the marquee SEC game and then on 7 o'clock at night in NBC. And so if you're a Big Ten diehard, if you appreciate Big Ten football more than SEC football, Marky game, marky game, marky game 
all three networks the most possible money and more importantly, the most possible marketing capital, right? Not the literal capital of money, but the marketing capital of now Fox is promoting Big Ten games on CBS and NBC. NBC is promoting Big Ten games the following week on CBS and Fox. Oh, by the way, when you tune into Sunday Night Football on NBC in the NFL, they're going to be promoting the next week's Big Ten game. CBS is now going to be incentivized during that Tony Romo, Jim Nance game to promote the crap out of whatever the Big Ten game is the following week. And oh, by the way, Fox, remember, is going to have a pretty prominent Big Ten alum in its main booth at some point when Tom Brady retires and does start as a broadcaster for Fox. And so what I would say about Kevin Warren, and this is the legacy to me of Kevin Warren, I think there's a lot of negatives, but I think he showed me, he taught me an important lesson in life. Everybody has strengths and weaknesses, right? Some of us are book smart. Some of us are street smart. Some of us are good at math. Some of us are good at science. Some of us are good at um, geography. Some of us are good at chemistry. Some of us are funny. Some of us are serious. Some of us are good people persons, good people, people, good with people. Some of us uh, struggle with the inner you know, the interpersonal communication, but you're good being behind a computer screen, coding, whatever. And Kevin Warren taught me that very valuable lesson is that when he was the face of the Big Ten during COVID, I thought it was a disaster. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to pretend. I'm not going to act as though it was something that it wasn't. But I also thought that when it came time for the Big Ten negotiations, he, like, if we're grading him on an A to F scale, that's like an A plus, 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 plus. Three different networks. The most money ever. Keep in mind this. The SEC... Signs a 10-year exclusive window with ESPN. No S no, no CBS uh, 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 promotion. No Fox promotion. No NBC promotion. 10-year contract. The Big Ten signed a 7-year contract, which means their TV deal is going to be up before the SEC's TV contract. So they're going to renegotiate a new deal with all those networks before the SEC contract is up. And so I bring it up to say to me, that is Kevin Warren's ultimate legacy to me. I don't love how he handled COVID. I don't love that he tore apart the Pac-12. But I am also a realist. I understand that his job, as I said a minute ago, it is to make the most money possible for his 16 school presidents. It's like Roger Goodell. Everybody wants to crush Roger Goodell. Everybody wants to blame him for everything. Everybody wants to tell me every time there's a weird controversy that he screws up that he's going to get fired and you, you have to run him out. And every time I say, why is he going to get fired? His only job is to make the most money possible for his 32 owners. And that's exactly what he did. Well, what about Kevin Warren? Kevin Warren's only job is to be the public face for his 16 school presidents, take the arrows when things go bad, and make the most money possible when things go good. And so I wish USC and UCLA were in the Pac-12. But the one thing I've learned about this whole sports thing, the games are going to go on. We're still going to watch. I don't love that it's getting super professionalized at the college level. But maybe we needed a Kevin Warren for us to bring us there, right? I don't love a 12-team playoff. I don't love that some college football teams are now going to be playing potentially 16 games. I don't love that at some point in the future, I, I think college football players and maybe other athletes will be employees of the school. It's not going to be long. If you remember, we had that NIL expert Luke Fedler on the show a few weeks ago. He said he thinks that soon players are going to be collectively bargaining 
to get TV revenue from these TV contracts. I don't love all of that, but maybe it's where we were going anyway, and maybe Kevin Warren pushed us there. Now, the one disappointing thing is I do wish he had stuck through a little bit longer. Three years isn't very long. Um, and beyond that, it's it's the three years, but it's also that there's so much change. And he, more than anybody, even maybe more than Greg Sankey, was the agent for change. Now, you could say it started with Greg Sankey, Texas, and Oklahoma. But Kevin Warren blew up the Pac-12. The Pac-12 has to recount, whatever. I'm not Maybe him and Greg Sankey are equal. But when the two of them are both the faces of the new era of college sports, you would have liked to see Kevin Warren, uh, you know, stick with it. I have no idea what's next for the Big Ten. I don't know who they're going to hire. My guess is, though, I don't think it's going to be anybody that's as aggressive um, as much of a change agent as Kevin Warren. Uh, and so, listen, I, I don't mean to go on. It's a, it's a conference commissioner. We're all going to move on. I'm not, I'm not going to treat it like it's uh, Nick Saban retiring or something. But I do think it's an interesting day for college sports. And I just will say in general, I'm very curious to see what happens next for the Big Ten. I'm very curious to see what happens in college sports in general, all this revenue, everything like that. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right, there is one other college football update before we get to the latest in the chaos at Kentucky, as now we basically have a report that that just it's just crazy at Kentucky. Okay, so we're going to get that to that in a minute. But there was one very interesting piece of news in the world of college football. Well, really, two. One, Florida's got some problems with their their star recruit NIL. I'm over NIL. We'll probably discuss it at some point, but I'm over it at this particular minute. But the story that I want to discuss, it comes at little Clemson. You may have heard of it. Dabo Sweeney, ACC champs. The last time we saw them on the field, they looked all disheveled, all disoriented, all out of sorts against Tennessee. And what was interesting about that game was that if you remember that game, was supposed to be the start of a new era of Clemson football. Over the last two years, DJ Uyla had been the quarterback at Clemson. It had not gone well. And DJ had taken the, the brunt of the blame for everything that has gone on wrong at Clemson. And so I bring it up because in the Orange Bowl, this was supposed to be the dawning of a new era. Five-star freshman Cade Klubnick, who led Clemson to an ACC title in the ACC title game against North Carolina, it was his first career start, and I don't think anybody thinks that this kid is is the next Trevor Lawrence. Trevor Lawrence might be a once-in-a-generation prospect, but he was supposed to be the guy to re-elevate Clemson in the bowl game. Only it didn't happen, and just a few days ago, we talked about Clemson on this show, and 
if there really should be reason for excitement for the Cade Klubnik era, because the offense didn't look any better with him in the Orange Bowl than it did with DJ. And so I bring it up because on Thursday, we got a very interesting report. As first off, Dabo Sweeney fired offensive coordinator Brandon Streeter. Why that alone is important is this. Dabo has been a very loyal guy. He has stuck with his assistants through thick and thin, good and bad, highs and lows. He is not a guy that acts rationally or or irrationally, I should say. He is not a guy that's just going to fire people for the sake of firing them. Or if you have one bad game or one bad half or one bad season, he's not going to get rid of you. So one, when he got rid of Brandon Streeter, that was like, a oh, this is a very interesting news development. But what was especially interesting was what happened next. Just a few minutes later, Adam Rittenberg of ESPN, he was the first one that I saw reported. If it was somebody else, maybe Ross Dellinger, I apologize. But whoever was the first to report it, reported, it's been since confirmed by everybody, that not only is Brandon Streeter fired, but that they replaced him, that Clemson replaced him with, drum roll please, and you know I only bring out the drum roll for the big ones. Clemson's new offensive coordinator is none other than former TCU offensive coordinator Garrett Riley, the brother of Lincoln Riley, um, a, a super young, dynamic play caller, a bright young mind in college football, to which I say, boy, oh boy, oh boy, Dabo, I did not know you had it in you, but I give you a ton of credit. And so what I would say about Garrett Riley, and I think we've maybe touched on him before, he was going into the offseason the hottest name in terms of coordinator circles. He probably wasn't going to get a head coaching job, and I don't know that he would even want one. Um, You know, at this stage of his career, he's early 30s, build his resume up. But we were going into an offseason where there was a couple schools that are probably going to need coordinators, and he was going to be able to command a lot of money wherever he went. The common logic thought that Texas A&M would probably pursue him, and my understanding is they did. Now, whether it was they thought Bobby Petrino was better or Garrett Riley didn't want to hitch his wagon to Jimbo Fisher, one, a coach that's struggling, but two, maybe more important, a coach that might be stubborn in giving up play calling. Um, But Texas A&M was supposed to be a player for Garrett Riley. And oh, by the way, Alabama, who I still don't think Bill O'Brien is coming back. I do think he's going to end up in New England with the Patriots, with Bill Belichick. He was supposed to be target number one for Alabama. So the fact that Dabo Sweeney, under the cloak of darkness, went out, fired his offensive coordinator, brought in the coordinator that everybody wants. Let me just say this. It has been a long time since Dabo Sweeney made a move like this, and I believe this is the best sign yet that he may be finally willing to change with the times. And really quickly, I'm I'm not going to do an 8-15 minute segment on Dabo, but the thing about Dabo, and we've talked about it a ton on this show, he has been a guy that is very reticent to change. I just explained the, the 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 staff situation. Doesn't like to fire people. When people like Brent Venables leave and Tony Elliott, the offensive coordinator last year, he left for the Virginia job. Dabo likes to hire from within. He likes to promote from within. He likes to build from within. He doesn't like to bring in outside people. On top of that, and we've discussed this a lot, not a fan of the transfer portal. I could be wrong, but I believe he's the they still haven't taken a transfer except for another backup quarterback. Last offseason, they took one transfer. It was a backup quarterback. This offseason, they're taking another transfer who's another backup quarterback. But they don't make a ton of changes 
internally, externally, and how they do things. Finally, the NIL stuff. He's been very against. I don't. I don't want to say he's been against NIL. He's been against publicly paying players, which is just the new world. And so you add in the fact that he doesn't make a lot of changes. You add in the fact that he doesn't like the transfer portal, that he doesn't like NIL. It felt like this might be, might be a dying brand in college football that Dabo Sweeney simply wasn't willing to evolve. So the fact that he went out and not only fired his offensive coordinator, but brought in the guy that everybody else wanted, that is the best sign yet that Clemson, we were all throwing dirt on their grave. It might not be time just yet. I, like a lot of other people, think that Florida State actually might be the team to beat in the ACC next year. But Dabo's sitting there saying, listen, I hear what you guys are saying about me, and I see the product on the field, and the product isn't good enough. Cade Klubnik wasn't good enough in the bowl game. This team wasn't good enough. Two straight years, we have not gone to the college football playoff. And even though the playoff expands, we're not waiting for that. We want to be back next year. We believe we have a window now with a five-star quarterback in Cade Klubnik and he needs to be developed better than he is. So that's the story. That's the point. And I'll tell you this. I give Dabo so much credit. Hall of Famer, all-time great, two-time national champion. He's been stubborn. But to his credit, he said, enough is enough. I don't like where this is going, and I'm going to make some changes. I just want to do take a quick break. Speaking of changes, craziness at Kentucky, maybe not enough changes as far as some are concerned, but I bring it up because we now have a report that Calipari and his AD are beefing beyond belief, beyond what we could have ever imagined. We're going to discuss all that. That'll be next. All right, we're getting back to the show in a minute. But before we do, I want to welcome back our presenting sponsor, Betfred Sportsbook and the Betfred Sportsbook app. By now, you know Betfred's story started in 1967 in the UK. Over 1,600 shops in the UK have come to the United States and made a major splash. They are the presenting sponsor of the Cincinnati Bengals, Colorado Rockies, Denver Broncos. And what I love about working with Betfred, nobody does more for their customers than Betfred does. Okay, I've told you before, but I'm going to keep telling you. Cincinnati Bengals games, that Betfred suite is rocking. They had a New Year's Eve into New Year's Day party for the launch of sports betting in the state of Ohio. Shout out to all of you who were there. Obviously, beyond that, there is the Denver Broncos VIP tailgates. We have sent listeners of this show to those tailgates. Colorado Rockies, first pitch at those games. Betfred does more for their customers than anybody. And here is what they are doing for listeners of the Aaron Torres podcast. Okay, it's what you got to do. Bet 50 on any game and new users. How about this? Get up to a thousand dollars in free bets. There are no catches. There are no gimmicks. Here's what you need to know. Bet 50 on any game. You get automatically $111 in free bets. But beyond that, you get $200 insurance on your first five weeks as a Betfred customer. So you decided, hey, I'm going to bet this big game, 100 bucks, 200 bucks, whatever. You end up losing it. They're going to insure you for that game. So up to five weeks, up to $200, plus $111 for signing up for Betfred today. You're going to want to do it. Download the Betfred Sportsbook app. Tell them Torres sent you. Thank you to our presenting sponsor, the Betfred Sportsbook. 
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. All right, everybody. I'm back. Good to be back. Good to be back. I do want to switch gears, and I guess I'm going to keep talking about the biggest topic in college basketball right now, and that is this wild story and the wild just chaos at Kentucky. And the plan coming into our Friday show was not to talk about Kentucky again. We've talked about them enough. They're not a very good basketball team right now. And on Thursday's show, I went so far as to actually put out a list of candidates that I think they should call if somehow John Calipari finds another job somewhere else and decides to leave the program this offseason. But at the same time, while I was not planning to talk about Kentucky again, something happened on Thursday that feels like, oh, we got to come back to Kentucky. And it was an article from my old buddy, Kyle Tucker, Kyle Tucker of The Athletic. Uh, He and I, through the years, have not seen eye to eye on a lot of things. Uh, I've been, he said some things to me. I've said some things to him, but the one thing I'll say about Kyle, he's a good reporter. He's on top of things in Lexington. And while I may disagree with him on certain things, it doesn't change the fact that he's really good at his job. And so I bring it up because on Thursday, he put out a report that was really, really, really damning, not just to John Calipari, but to the entire athletic department as a whole, that basically painted the entire athletic department basically in chaos, problems between Calipari and Mitch Barnhart, the AD. And so I want to get into it because while the report certainly does not excuse John Calipari, and in some ways there are things that actually make him look worse as a head coach, it does kind of restructure the conversation about Kentucky and how much blame should be going on Calipari for the team's struggles this year because, frankly, it seems like a lot of this actually falls on the administration as well. So let's get into it. Let me give you a few kind of details from the case. But first of all, as I said, it doesn't paint the basketball picture in the greatest light as well. And I think the one thing that really stood out from the article was that apparently John Calipari and and we watch Kentucky, they don't look very good. They don't look very well prepared. One thing the article said was that Calipari actually has graduate assistants and low level staffers doing the team scouting reports. What I can tell you, is that in all of my years covering college basketball, I have never heard at the high major level, certainly, but even at the mid and low major level of a GA or somebody other than an assistant coach doing a scouting report. Part of the reason why at the high major level, you you, you know, you, you pay assistant coaches hundreds of thousands of dollars is because they have to be able to wear a lot of hats. They have to be able to recruit. They have to be able to develop. They have to be able to, um, you know, evaluate in the portal. And they got to be able to put together a game plan to beat your opponents. 
So that is something I've never heard of. And that is another kind of knock on John Calipari in a year where he doesn't need any more. But really, even that part of the story speaks to something else, because according to Kyle, part of the reason that assistant coaches are doing this or are not doing this is because there are not enough above board paid support staff to help John Calipari and the assistants out. So let's get into some of the damning things that the article says about the state of Kentucky athletics behind the scenes. Again, most specifically regarding the relationship with Mitch Barnhart and John Calipari. One, like I just said, apparently uh, Calipari has pushed for more of more support staff and has largely been denied. What I would say is in 2023, where we are right now, the year we're currently in, if you think you're getting away with just the head coach, three on-court assistants, and a few support staff members, it's just not enough in 2023, okay? It isn't. Look at Nick Saban and the army of analysts that he has, and I know it's football, it's completely different. But Nick Saban is not relying on his on-the-field assistant coaches to handle every responsibility that goes in his organization. Think about Billy Napier, the famous picture of Florida with dozens, if not close to 100 support staff members. In basketball, watch an Arkansas game sometime. Eric Mussman has done a great job of building out the support staff around the assistant coaches because in 2023, even in basketball, when you only have 13 scholarship players, you have to be not only coaching your team, preparing your team, but you got to be looking at two, three high school recruiting classes at the same time. You have to be evaluating players for the portal. And so you can't get away with just the support staff that, that you even were able to get away with three, four, five years ago. We talked about it on this show over the summer. Uh, Duke hired a quote-unquote general manager in the offseason. That woman's responsibility was to build relationships with kind of the power brokers behind the scenes, the, the whatever, but then to handle the NIL stuff so that when John Shire goes into a home, he doesn't have to come up with the NIL pitch and the this pitch and the that pitch. He comes in, somebody else has done the work for him. So that's one, and it doesn't paint Mitch Barnhard in the best light. Two, beyond that, and this is where it gets really interesting, apparently they have no relationship at all. Now, I had heard from you know people that know those two parties that they basically were not on speaking terms. Doesn't necessarily mean anything. You can do both. Two people can do their jobs really well working together when they don't speak. I don't think it helps things. I think we're in a communicative world where you have to be in touch with your people, especially the the, the school's most important employee and the school, the, the boss of that person. Um, but that Mitch Barnhart at this point is barely attending games and never attending practices. Now, practice, I don't think it's that big of a deal. But for an AD not to attend basketball games when you are, in fact, and we'll get to this in a minute, a basketball school, that's unheard of. All the ADs I know, they're everywhere. They're at every game possible. They're supporting their coaches. They're supporting their student athletes. They're supporting the teams. They're letting the fan base know that those coaches and their, those players have their support. So the fact that Mitch Barnhart isn't, forget not talking to John Calipari, he's not showing up, is not a good sign. And it keeps going. These are the two things that really struck me. One, we all remember what I just said a minute ago, the famed basketball school quotes from John Calipari that at the time I didn't think were that big of a deal. Um, but apparently John Calipari wanted to apologize right away for it. Mitch Barnhart would not let him and publicly sided with Mark Stoops. And then the last thing, and this was the takes the cake of all takes the cakes. If you remember that basketball school comment centered around the fact that John Calipari wants a new 
basketball practice facility for Kentucky basketball. And the story out of the athletic out of Kyle Tucker was that John Calipari had actually raised the funds privately, largely through former players that are now in the NBA making millions that he had raised upwards of $30 million for that basketball facility. And that Mitch Barnard, the AD said, no, 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 no. You're not doing it. You're not getting your new facility. And so what I would say about all this is a couple things. I know there are some Kentucky fans. There, there are some. I don't think a lot necessarily. There are some saying, well, that story was just planted by John Calipari. Things are going bad, and he wants to get, get the heat off of him. To which I would say, you're probably right on that. That I would not disagree with you on. This felt like a very uh, pro-Calipari for the most part story, although it wasn't that glowing. Because, again, you talked about non-assistant coaches doing scouting reports. But I only bring it up to say this. Even if it was leaked by Calipari, it's a very simple yes or no question. Are the facts of the story true? And Kyle Tucker, again, for my dislike of him personally or whatever whatever our relationship is, he's really good at his job. He's a good reporter. He's not going to print something if it isn't true. So even if it was more of a pro-Calipari lean, it doesn't change the facts of the story and it doesn't change the facts of this. This story to me, completely changes the entire conversation about Kentucky basketball this season and really over the last couple of years. Now, yes, if you're Kentucky, you cannot lose to South Carolina at home. You cannot get embarrassed by Alabama on, on, a, on the road. You cannot get embarrassed by UCLA. You cannot get embarrassed by Gonzaga. There are other things going on that are not the AD's fault. They're not anybody other than the head coach's fault. When you don't show up to play for Gonzaga in a top 10 matchup, in a game that everybody was excited about, that's on the head coach. When you, uh, whatever, when you lose at home to South Carolina, I don't care how many injuries there are, you can't lose at home to South Carolina. But it does change this story to me for a little bit. Uh, it does change the story a little bit because it's one thing, you know, again, what what some of the stuff that, that's happened with Kentucky basketball is inexcusable. I get that. But at the same time, there are obviously some mitigating factors in terms of why things are going sideways the way that they are. And it does seem as though part of this is that Calipari is not getting the support that he needs from his, his AD, his boss. And so that to me, this is a huge part of the story that can't be ignored. And when I heard all this, all you have to do, I think any guy or girl listening, go to your life. We've all had bosses in our lives that you know in your heart of hearts doesn't believe in you, that you know in your heart of hearts maybe didn't want to hire you, but somebody else had to, somebody else kind of twisted their arm. It doesn't believe in you, doesn't like you, has a vendetta against you. Well, it's one thing to have a boss that doesn't believe in you, which is clearly what's going on at Kentucky. It's another, and this is what appears to be happening according to that story, a boss that is actively sabotaging you. When you're the head coach and you believe you need a new practice facility and you take it upon yourself to raise the funds yourself and your AD steps in the way, that is actively undermining you. When you just lost a PR battle publicly with the football coach and your AD won't let you apologize for it, that is your AD actively undermining you. And so it does change my perspective on John Calipari. And I'll say this. It changes my perspective on this whole Kentucky thing and to take things further behind the scenes. This isn't the first thing that Kentucky fans are frustrated about with this AD. There's issues with the NIL program. What is it? 
How good is it? By the way, Kentucky, the highest rated recruit that they've ever signed, or one of the top two, Justin Rogers, defensive tackle. He left this week, entered the portal, and signed with Auburn. I'm not saying I know what happened, but when Auburn, in its AD search and its coach search, and you know I have nothing but respect for Hugh Freeze, I'm not knocking him. These are the new rules. But Auburn got a new AD and a new head coach who both came because they knew the NIL program was in place at Auburn to have success. So when Kentucky loses a defensive tackle to a fellow SEC program that they've had more success than over the last couple of years, people are going to start asking questions, and most people are pinning it to NIL. And so I'm going sideways here, but the bottom line remains this. This AD already doesn't have support of a lot of the fan base, maybe even most of the fan base because of how he's handled NIL. My buddy Matt Jones has talked about it a lot, about the fact that apparently he's not letting anybody drink alcohol at the games. I mean, that feels like a 1978 problem that can easily be resolved now that basically every SEC uh, stadium is selling alcohol. And so he has stepped in kind of, you know, he's put his foot in his mouth in a lot of these situations. And now to have this come out where he's actively undermining his, his, his basketball coach, that's just bad. Again, Calipari deserves a lot of blame for this situation at Kentucky. But do you think that whether it's Nick Saban, Kirby Smart, Eric Musselman, Bruce Pearl, whomever, and I know Nick Saban's one more and Kirby Smart's one more of late. Eric Musselman too, Bruce Pearl too, whatever. But you think when they go to their AD for something that they deem important, Nick Saban doesn't have to beg. Nick Saban doesn't have to privately, uh, you know, maneuver around his AD to hope to raise funds. If he thinks he needs it to win at the highest level, he gets it. Same with Kirby Smart. Same with Bruce Pearl. Same with Eric Musselman. I just mentioned you. I could go on and on and on. In 2023, in the SEC, there's no excuse. There's plenty of money. There's more money than you can ever spend, and this falls on Mitch Barnhart. And I would add, as I conclude, It sets up a very precarious situation at Kentucky because to me, we've talked about the Calipari aspect of things, but it feels as though I did a little straw poll of the fan base. I think everybody's frustrated with Calipari. It does feel like though, especially after this article, that if the fan base had their druthers, one of two things would happen. One, either both would be gone, but if the fan base could only choose one, I got the sense that most of the fan base says, let's get rid of the AD. Let's give Calipari one more run with next year's 2024 recruiting class. And if it doesn't work out, then we go get the Scott Drew, who Kyle Tucker said would be the number one candidate, would go after the Brad Stevens, the Jay Wright, the Chris Holtman, whoever. And so I just bring all of this up to say it's setting up for a fascinating situation at Kentucky. I think one of the reasons you guys and girls like this show, even if you're not a Kentucky fan, you like this show because I take you behind the curtain of how college sports really is. And right now we have this weird tug of war at Kentucky where it does not appear as though uh, the the school president is on the side of the AD. It doesn't appear the AD is going to go. The basketball coach doesn't like the AD and the AD doesn't like the basketball coach, but I don't think the basketball coach is going anywhere. And so it's just a bad deal, man. It just, you know, we, I think in society right now, we overuse the word toxic, T-O-X-I-C. We, I think we overuse that word too much. This feels like a toxic situation with no winners. Um, and unfortunately, by the way, a lot of student athletes get caught in the middle. And a lot of fans that just want to support their team are caught in the middle as well. I'll tell you this. You know, whoever are the boots on the ground reporters, Kyle Tucker, you know, all, all my KSR family. I've worked at KSR for a number of years. I respect the hell out of everybody there. 
there should be there and there will be some really tough questions asked the next time Mitch Barnhart has a media availability because it, again, not removing blame from John Calipari, but when the AD is reportedly actively undermining the head coach, changes the conversation a lot on Kentucky. All right, this is what we're going to do. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to wrap Aaron right, Aaron wrong. You know, we had a fun season of college football hot takes. Some of them were right. Some of them were wrong. So we'll have fun. We'll do a season ending Aaron right, Aaron wrong. Take a quick break. We'll be right back. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. All right, everybody. I am back. Good to be back. Good to be back. Final segment of the show. Final segment of the week. So good to be back. And I do want to wrap with what we normally wrap with on a Friday show, but it's been a while since we've done one. Where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong. And this is a special edition of where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong. College football end of season edition, Aaron right, Aaron wrong. Concept of the segment for people who are new to the show, it's pretty straightforward, right? Um, I did steal this from my buddy Colin Cowherd. Colin, somebody I respect dearly, think a lot of, uh, gotten to know him a little bit through the years. And every single week on his show, he does where Colin was right, where Colin was wrong, going through his best and worst takes of the week. And I decided to bring that to the Aaron Torres Sports Pod. The reason, it's pretty straightforward. It's because when I get stuff right, first of all, I put out a lot of opinions. And when I get stuff right, nobody loves telling telling you about it more than your boy Torres. Torres said this. Torres said that. Should have listened to Torres. Why didn't you listen to Torres? Torres, 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 Torres. Yes, I never shut up. But at the same time, when I get stuff wrong, I got to hold myself accountable too. And so that's why we do this segment where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong, going through my best and worst takes usually of the week. But today it is an end of season college football edition where I go through my best and worst takes of the year. Let's get to it where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong. Where Aaron was right. So in the preseason, I did not pick Georgia to win the national championship. But what I did say was, if you think this program is taking a step back just because they lost a bunch of players to the NFL, you are out of your mind. The bottom line is this is a program that has recruited at an elite level forever. And what I believe last year, the 2021 season was all about, was that I believed that it really kind of, it was an important season, not just because they won the national championship, but because of who they did it against in Alabama. For years, that was the hurdle they couldn't get over even during the season. They couldn't get over the Alabama hurdle, losing to them in the SEC championship game. So to exercise that demon, to beat Alabama in the national championship game, I said they've always had the talent. Now they have the confidence of knowing that they can play with and beat everybody. Well, what happened this year? Uh, yeah, they went went 15-0, and win a national championship. Even last year's national championship team in 2021 didn't go undefeated. I think you could argue this is not the best Georgia team of all time. Kirby Smart said himself on Monday that he thought last year's team was more talented. But this is the team that had the confidence. This is the only team that's gone 15-0. and 
And as I said on Thursday's show, if you think it's slowing down, you're out of your mind. They actually return most of their best players from this year, even though they lose Stetson Bennett. Georgia ain't slowing down. I was dead right on that. Where Aaron was wrong. So this one will go down as an all-time Aaron wrong. It had to do with my preseason playoff pick of Oklahoma in the college football playoff. And what I said at the time was this. I said Lincoln Riley left a lot more talent on offense than anybody gives him credit for. Plus, they add Dylan Gabriel, the transfer from UCF, who's really good. And Brent Venables is going to clean things up on defense. Well, just one problem. The defense was somehow worse under Brent Venables than it was in Lincoln Riley's last year. And so, listen, I haven't given up on the Venables era yet. Uh, To his credit, they're actually doing really well in the portal right now, bringing in a lot of defensive line prospects. And I could see the scenario where this is an improved program. They're also bringing in a five-star quarterback named Jackson Arnold, who I think a lot of people are excited about. Uh, Probably won't play next year, but is a prospect going forward. At the same time, this year, year one, uh, yeah, I think it would qualify as a complete disaster as Oklahoma finishes six and seven overall. They lose their bowl game to Florida State, which is no shame, but some of those midseason results were abominable. The 52 to 42 loss to Kansas. You can't give up 52 points to Kansas. 49 nothing to Texas. 29 point loss to TCU. I get TCU's maybe a little bit better than we thought. Uh, yeah, you can't lose to it by 29 points. I was dead wrong. On, T- on on Oklahoma, all-time Aaron Wrong. Had him in the playoff, had him in the title game. Better luck next year. Where Aaron was right. So I'll give myself credit on this. I sniffed out the Ohio State stuff pretty early, okay? And listen, I know that Ohio State looked good in the semifinal against Georgia. They probably should have won that game. I'm not going to take that away from Ryan Day. But I said really over the last three, four weeks of the season, going into the Michigan game, I said, is Ohio State really that good? Or are we giving them credit for beating the crap out of Indiana and whoever, you know, Rutgers and Kent State and whatever? I said, if you actually look at the games that matter, this is a program that tends to struggle. Trailed at the half against Notre Dame. Trailed going into the fourth quarter against Penn State. And going into the Michigan game. When everybody else was starting to say, well, it's at home. And you know what happened last year? And they're going to come out ready to go. I was dead right. I said, I'm picking Michigan. I don't care. I don't care what everybody else is saying. This Ohio State team needs to prove something to me. I said it all along, was dead right. And I'll say this too. It's going to make for a fascinating, a fascinating offseason and more importantly, season next year. We don't know as I record now whether Jim Harbaugh will be back or not or if he is going to the NFL. You can't take a third straight loss uh, to, to Michigan if you're Ryan Day. Penn State's going to be improved. You play at Notre Dame. I don't see the scenario where it gets easier for Ohio State. It sets up, again, a fascinating year for Ryan Day. Needs to beat Michigan, and we got 9, 10, 11 months, whatever it is, to break that one all down. Where Aaron was wrong. I was wrong on Michigan. I mean, listen, you know, listen, I picked Michigan to beat Ohio State, but going into the season, I said it, and I'll own this, two things on Michigan. I said, I worry about Jim Harbaugh's ability to rally that team after he left last year on National Signing Day to interview for a Minnesota Vikings job. I said, I don't know how those players can trust him. I think he broke that trust. That team could struggle this season. Uh, Yeah, they went 12-0 in the regular season. And on top of that, I also said early on, I said, are we sure J.J. McCarthy 
is better than the guy he replaced in Cade McNamara. Remember, that was a story for like six weeks in the, into the season. Cade McNamara wins the Big Ten. Cade McNamara leads them to a playoff two years ago, and Jim Harbaugh replaces him with J.J. McCarthy. Well, I was dead wrong on J.J. McCarthy. I was dead wrong on Jim Harbaugh. I know you want to blame Jim Harbaugh because he lost to TCU. I know you want to get mad at McCarthy for throwing two pick sixes, but this is now. They are the best program in the Big Ten until somebody knocks them off. J.J. McCarthy is the best quarterback that they have, and I'll tell you this. If Jim Harbaugh comes back, they have as good a shot as anybody of knocking Georgia off the throne next year. Where Aaron was right. Now, we just talked about Clemson a minute ago. I respect what Dabo Sweeney did on Thursday, but it doesn't change the fact that I said in the preseason, I said, this program, something's not quite right. This was a program coming off a 10-win year last year, but the quarterback play with DJ was in question. The, the, the way Dabo recruits doesn't use the portal. Well, fast forward to this year. Weird up and down year. It sort of works out. They're sort of trending in the right direction. And then they get destroyed by Notre Dame. Then they regroup. Other teams lose. They're in position to make the 14 playoff. And they lose to South Carolina. So credit to Dabo for fixing things this week now that the season is over. But it doesn't change the fact that all along something wasn't quite right with this program. We'll see if Garrett Riley's arrival changes anything. But I'm here to tell you, man. Uh, something was not right all off season into the season, and it was proven correct. Good season, but 10 and three in the orange bowl is not the expectation. National championships are at Clemson where Aaron was wrong. This one, like Oklahoma and frankly, like Michigan too, this is an all time Aaron wrong. I said, coming into the year, I said, I think this has a chance to be Alabama's best team ever under Nick Saban. And in my defense, I think it was fair, right? You bring back the Heisman trophy winner and Bryce young. You bring back the best edge rusher in the country in Will Anderson. You add through the portal, Jameer Gibbs, uh, all these guys. You have talent everywhere. I actually saw this. Brad Powers, who is a very well-respected college football better, said that in his rankings, you know, like, like the, the, the power ratings that professional gamblers do, he said that Alabama was the best team he has ever ranked since starting those rankings, better than 2019 LSU, better than Georgia this year better than Alabama in 2020. And so it speaks to the fact that I was dead wrong. I picked him to win a national championship because I said, look, this is the most talented team, probably the best team that Nick Saban has ever had. Oh, and they're coming in with a chip on their shoulder. Couldn't have been more wrong, but a lot of people were wrong on Alabama, who of course did not win a championship. Really quickly, Aaron Wright. I'll give myself credit on this. I was early on Tennessee. Said in the preseason, their over-under was seven and a half. I said, I think they go over. Went to LSU. A lot of people were questioning if they could win. I said, I think they win convincingly. They did, and it continued on. I know Vols fans, it didn't end quite the way that you guys and girls wanted. Obviously, that crushing loss to South Carolina kept you out of the playoff, but you go to the Orange Bowl, you have success, and I'll just say, I think Josh Heupel is the right man for the job. Now, we'll see what happens next year, whether it's Joe Milton, whether it's Nico, whether it's somebody else playing quarterback. But right now, this program appears to be in great shape. And I think as, as Heupel gets more comfortable, as he gets more depth in the portal, um, when he, as he gets more depth in general, whether it's through high school or the portal, remember, this is a program that got gutted after Jeremy Pruitt got fired. Best is yet to come for Tennessee. And then where Aaron was wrong. TCU, I mean, listen, 
all season long, I, like many, just kept waiting, 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 and it never happened. They never had the downfall. They never lost the game that they shouldn't. Even in the Big 12 championship game, they lose on the final whistle, the final play, kick by Kansas State, and they get deservedly into the college football playoff and beat Michigan. So I know, one, for TCU fans, it's a disappointing end. And I know also for fans of college, for, oh, this proves Alabama should have been there. No, it didn't. didn't prove anything. Just because Georgia smacked TCU, what makes you think with the way Alabama played that Georgia wouldn't have smacked Alabama too? Alabama was the worst in big games. They were awful for three quarters against Tennessee before they rallied. They were awful against Texas. They were awful against Texas A&M. So don't tell me Alabama would have done better. Congrats to TCU. I, like so many others, was dead wrong about you. All right, I think it's time for me to get out of here. Long show today, fun show today. Uh, if you're not subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, please make sure to do so. If this week didn't prove it, we are not going anywhere, okay? Uh, we're not done yet. We have a busy uh, winter and spring ahead of us. January is shaping up to be another record-setting month for this podcast. It's early, going to need your support, but we're doing incredible things, and I cannot do it without you guys and girls. So thank you for your guys and girls' support. Uh, if you're not subscribed to the podcast, please make sure to do so. Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Music. If you're not subscribed to YouTube, go ahead, hit that subscribe button on YouTube, closing in on 19,000 subscribers there. We may be there by the time you get over to the YouTube channel. So thank you guys and girls for your support. Um, and finally, make sure you're following on social media at Aaron underscore Torres, at Aaron Torres Pod. Uh, Aaron Torres podcast questions. You ever have questions for the show? Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. That is all for today's show. I will be back on Monday with a new episode of the Aaron Torres sports podcast, but it is time for me to get out of here. Shout out to Torrent Craig. Shout out to Rachel who hates my voice. Shout out to JJ Reddick. You have had unblock me, bro. I'll be back on Monday. New episode of the Aaron Torres podcast. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. <laughs> 